following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. I'm pressing on the upward way, new heights I'm a gleam of glory bright, but still I'll pray till heaven I found, Lord lead me on to higher ground. I want to be very simple with you today about what revival is. Revival is the great need that we have in the church today in America. But what is that revival? I've often thought about revival as the sudden unexpected coming of the power of the Holy Spirit. And everything changes. And that's true. There are times when the Holy Spirit historically has been poured out in great power, where suddenly everything is changed. That happened in the Argentine revival. But there's a piece missing. And I've been crying out to God to understand fully that missing piece. And it's so simple. It's so easy to understand. We need to understand that revival is simply the life of Jesus Christ poured into our hearts. See, Jesus always has the victory. It doesn't matter what my human 
living situation is. Jesus is victorious. It doesn't matter if I'm living in barrenness or if I'm walking in victory. Jesus is victorious. Jesus has all of the power. He is the one who has been set aside for the ages as our atoning sacrifice. So how do we deal with this issue of revival? I pray that as I share this with you, your heart will be deeply convicted that the presence of Jesus will come to you, that you will begin to hear and understand and walk with me in first the preparation for revival, and then secondly in the fullness and the power of revival. See, in simplest terms, it's walking in the light. You see, blood, the blood of Jesus, never cleanses excuses. It only cleanses sin, sin that has been confessed. So we are called to walk in the light. And I want to share with you a scripture just very quickly that addresses this walking in the light. It's found in 1 John. The first chapter, that is the first epistle of John, not the gospel, in the first chapter. And I'm going to begin reading for you at verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Now let's break this down very carefully. He's saying that the message from the very beginning of the gospel was that God is light, that there's no darkness in him. Jesus is victorious. There is no darkness in Jesus. So if I say I have fellowship with Jesus, and yet I'm walking in hiddenness, if I'm walking in any known sin, if I'm in any way rebellious to Jesus, I'm lying. It's that simple. It's not complicated. If you know you are doing something that is in opposition to Jesus and the Holy Spirit has spoken to you about this and you have resisted it, you are not a Christian. You are walking in darkness. To walk in the light means to come out where everything is visible, where it's plain to see. This is who I am. This is what I'm doing. This is how I'm acting. You can look. You can watch. You can talk to me. This is my life. I am in Jesus Christ. 
Verse 7, but if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. We have fellowship with one another. So broken fellowship is an indicator that I'm walking in darkness. When someone, and I used to be the chief of sinners in this, if I didn't like how someone was or I didn't like what they were doing, I would simply distance myself and cut them off. And I would say, I'm sorry, I can't be with you when you're like this. There was a day in my life when I would get into a discussion, and if I didn't like how that discussion was going, I would just shut down and say, this conversation is over and I'm leaving. And leaving was my escape. There was a time in my marriage where if my wife and I disagreed, I would simply end the conversation and walk away and come back and talk another day. Well, all of that is an indicator that in some very key areas of my heart, I am still walking in the darkness. I am still walking in a way, how should I put it? I'm walking in a way that is breaking fellowship with someone. But, it says, the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin, cleanses, eviscerates, destroys all sin. So, let's be plain. I'm going to begin dealing with this topic Today and next week, we're not going to go quickly through this. I want to take you deep into the heart of God. I'm not trying to in any manner condemn anyone or criticize anyone or bring fault against anyone. Please hear my heart. I'm saying that I choose to walk in the light, and I'm inviting you to walk with me in the light. And I'm asking you to have fellowship with me, to drop all judgments, all accusations, all suspicions, and walk in Jesus, and be transparent, Well, that doesn't mean two people can't talk about hard things. They can talk about hard things. The question is, is their heart hard? Is their heart set in opposition? Is their neck stiff? Is there bitterness in the heart? Now, please, 1 John, the first chapter, This is the message we heard from him and declare to you. God is light, and in him there's no darkness at all. And if we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. My brother, my sister, I want to walk with you in the truth, in honest and true fellowship. 
I don't want to walk in hardness of heart. I don't want to walk in judgment. I want to walk in revival power. And that revival power is going to require that we choose to walk in the light. When when we harden our hearts and we cut someone off, we are not walking in revival, nor can we. We're walking in pride and arrogance and self-sufficiency. We're walking in our own hard-hearted attitudes. The scripture calls it stiff-necked. I don't want to walk that way with you, and I don't want you to walk that way with me or with each other. Rather, I want us to come into a place where we honestly walk with Jesus, where we are covered by the blood. Now, what will that require? In Psalm 51, the prophet Nathan came to David after he had committed adultery with Bathsheba. He was confronted. He was afraid he would die. But Nathan the prophet said, You will not die. But Psalm 51 shares with us the inner thoughts of David. I want to share just one very brief part. This is verse 17. Psalm 51, verse 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Literally, contrite is to burst or to reduce to splinters. So to be broken and reduced to splinters, this is the condition of entering into revival. It is the human spirit, the self, being utterly broken, splintered, burst apart, no longer in power. And then Isaiah 66, the second verse, part B, this is the one I esteem. This is the Lord God of heaven speaking. This is the one I esteem. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Now what we're going to do today and in the coming days is we're going to talk about how to come into an intimate, right relationship with Jesus. And the first thing we must learn is that our wills must be broken to his will. To be broken is the beginning of revival. It is painful sometimes. It is humiliating. But it is literally the only way to enter into revival. Jesus cannot live in us fully and reveal himself through us until the proud, proud self within is broken. This simply means that the hard, unyielding self which justifies itself 
which wants its own way, stands up for its rights, seeks its own glory, must at last bow its head to God's will and admit that it is wrong, and it must give up its own way to Jesus and surrender its rights and discard its own glory, that the Lord Jesus might have all and be all. In other words, what I'm talking about is dying to self and self-attitudes. It's always self who gets irritable. It's always self that becomes envious and resentful and critical and worried. When I worry, it's an indicator that I'm living in self and not in Jesus. It is self that is hard and unyielding in its attitudes toward others, so it cuts them off. It's self that is shy, self-conscious, reserved. We need breaking. As long as self is in control, God can do little with us, for the fruit of the Spirit is what God longs to fill us with. Now, I want to look very quickly with you at two passages of Scripture. In Galatians, the second chapter, verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. So please hear this. I have been crucified with Christ. What does that mean? Well, you know immediately what it means, that I turn aside from fornication, pornography, I turn aside from cheating, lying, stealing. I turn aside from drinking, getting drunk, from smoking, from cigars. I turn aside from gambling. I turn aside from the grosser sins that the church has always identified as being wickedness. But it goes much deeper than this. It also means that I must die to the inner life of Ray Greenley. I must die to the self of Ray. And I must come to a place with Jesus where I'm fully surrendered and fully committed. Now there's a story in the Old Testament I love it. I want to share it with you quickly. There was a man by the name of Naaman. He was a commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master. The king loved this man and trusted him. And it was the Lord who gave victory to Aram. This man was honored by God. Even though he was a pagan, God wanted to save his soul 
God wanted to turn him toward righteousness. He was a valiant soldier. He was a skilled warrior. This man developed leprosy. Leprosy is terminal. It's a horrific disease. Now, there were different kinds of skin diseases called leprosy, but all of them were horrific. And with leprosy, you finally would have to leave your family and live alone with other lepers, perhaps, shouting unclean, unclean with your hand over your mouth. It was the end of his life. Now, a band of soldiers had gone into the territory of Israel. And they had captured a maiden, a young girl from Israel. And she was made a slave of Naaman's wife. Now, this little maiden served joyfully and cared deeply about these people that she served. And she said to her to her master, the wife of the house, if only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Well, the wife told Naaman, and Naaman decides he's going to go to the king with this information. He's going to tell the king he has leprosy, and he's going to tell the king that he needs to go to see the king of Israel where he can be healed of his leprosy. The king says, yes, go. So Naaman left, taking with him 700, 750 pounds of silver, 160 pounds of gold, and 10 sets of luxurious garments. This was a king's ransom. He sent soldiers with him. It was quite an entourage. And they came to the king of Israel. He read the letter. And he said, Am I God? Can I kill and bring to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? See how he's trying to pick a quarrel with me? Do you identify the flesh involved in the king? He's not a godly king. He's a fleshly king. He's not connected to the God of heaven. He's connected to his own ego and his own needs. Well, Elisha, the man of God. And I love that designation in the scriptures. In Second Kings, the fifth chapter, it says, When Elisha, the man of God, heard the king of Israel had torn his robes, He sent him this message. Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me. He'll know then that there is a prophet in Israel. So they sent Naaman to Elisha's house. And when they arrived out front, with all the clatter of the chariots and the horses, the soldiers and the the heavy wagon, perhaps, that they carried all of this gold and silver in. Elisha sent a messenger out to him. 
He said, go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan and your flesh will be restored and you will be cleansed. And Naaman is angry. He said, I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord as God and wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Are not the rivers of Damascus better than any waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? And he turned and went off in a rage. Here we have the classic setup. The classic setup of flesh. Of a man who is fleshly in his heart. Who is filled with pride. And God knew how to prick that pride with telling Elisha to just send his servant out to tell him, this is what Elisha has said you're to do, not even giving him the honor of a personal visit. You would have thought that Elijah would go out and pray over him. But no, God wanted to get at that pride. Please hear me. God wants to get at my pride. And he wants to get at your pride. And he'll bring a person into your life who will trigger the pride. He'll bring about circumstances that will finally unveil the wickedness of your own heart. And finally, you'll see Pardon me. Finally, you'll see by your actions how proud you are. Of course, the first reaction is self righteousness. He's wrong. I'm right. I was right in what I did. I do it again today. That's all flesh, that's all pride. I'm right, he's wrong. That's pride, that's flesh. And usually when we say, I'm right, he's wrong, we say it with fire. That's what Naaman did. Naaman was filled with pride, arrogance. God wanted to get at this. Couldn't I wash in the rivers of Damascus, aren't they better than the rivers of Israel? Oh, pure pride. And he turns and he goes off in a rage. I thought he came to be healed. I thought some of you came to learn the word of God and to learn how to walk in revival. But when I began to teach that you had to be baptized in the power of the Holy Spirit and you might even speak in tongues, some of you got very angry with me. And you turned off the broadcast and you said, I'm not going to speak in tongues. Pride. Arrogance. Oh, I'm theologically right. Right. Filled with pride, arrogance, hardness of heart.
You see, it's going to require a humbling of our hearts, a brokenness of our hearts. Revival only comes as we are broken. You will not stride into revival in the certainty of the intellectual strength you have. You will not walk into revival by your good deeds. You cannot be, quote, unquote, a good Christian and walk into revival. It won't happen. God will just let you go on being a good Christian. No, a green tree is not going to enter into revival. God doesn't come to people who think they're green and strong and and they have it all together. Revival comes to the dry bones, to the people who are recognizing their utter lack of ability to proclaim the gospel of Jesus to this world. Revival comes to people who are hungry for more of Jesus. Revival comes to people who can't wait another day to get into the presence of Jesus Christ and bow before him humbly and confess their pride and their arrogance and their hardness of heart. Do you hear me? I don't know how to talk about this very well. How many times I've gone off in a rage, spoken sharp words, or just shut off and turned cold and wasn't interested in any conversation. How many times I've judged another brother or sister and establish myself as being right and they're wrong. It grieves my heart. It grieves my heart. What I want more than anything in the world is the power and presence of the Holy Spirit to turn the hearts of men and women toward heaven, for for men and women to be turned to righteousness, this is the cry of my heart. I don't have time to offend with pride and self. If If you are to be offended with this broadcast, I pray you will be offended by the honest, straight, loving word of Jesus Christ as it comes across this mic to your radio. And I pray you will not go off in a rage, but you will humble your heart, that you would humble your heart with me. I've been through a a time of great breaking and trouble. I'm still in trouble. I'm still being broken even further. I'm waiting on Jesus. 
I know the way into revival. Well, let me put it this way. A wonderful African man, a pastor, came to America. He was speaking with another brother here who wondered why revival would not come to his church. The African pastor very humbly said, I had a dream before revival came. And in the dream, I was ascending a mountainside, rather steep. And I suddenly became conscious that there was another man there, and he too was struggling to come up this mountain, but he was struggling much more than I was. I looked at him carefully and saw that he had a huge backpack on his back. It was weighing him down. It was almost crushing his life out. And I said to him, Why are you carrying this backpack? It's too heavy for you. And he said to me, I am carrying your sin to Calvary. And this American pastor said, It just broke my heart right then. I began to weep. When I suddenly realized that Jesus in his vision, was just carrying one man's sin. And it was crushing Jesus. Jesus carried your sin to the cross. And he died there for you. He died on Calvary for your sin. He carried it so that you would not have to carry it. That it could be taken. That it could be dropped at Calvary. Never to be seen again. You could be set free of all your sin. But oh, if we're going to be set free of our sin, we're going to have to humble our hearts. We're going to have to be broken. And the pride and the self-sufficiency, the irritation with others, it's going to have to be broken at the cross. Worry and fear. Worry and fear. Worry and fear. It has to be broken at the cross. Will you let Jesus carry your sin? Will you let him take your hardness of heart, your stiff-neckedness? Oh, it's not all that hard to let go of our pornography or let go of our drinking or let go of some other favorite sin. But oh, the ones that are hard are the self-attitudes. And many of you listening to this broadcast today 
pardon me, many of you listening to this broadcast today, you're trying to live the Christian life out of your flesh, and it's killing you. You can't do it. You can't do it. And so you get in a rage, you get angry, you take it out on your wife or your husband or your kids, or you take it out on work mates, or you take it out on yourself, condemning yourself, making yourself feel guilty. But none of that is true confession, and none of that is being broken at the cross. So here's this Naaman in a rage. And in Second Kings, the fifth chapter, verse 13, Naaman's servants went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had asked you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you, Wash and be cleansed? Oh, the gospel. We would do some great thing if it would bring us honor and glory so that we could be delivered and be Christian. But the word is simply wash and be cleansed. He went down and he dipped himself in the Jordan six times and nothing happened. But on that seventh time, As he came up out of that water, his flesh was restored and it became clean like that of a young boy. Now Naaman is humbled of heart. He is broken of heart. And he goes back to the man of God. And he stood before him and he said, I know there's no God in all the world except in Israel. Please accept now a gift from your servant. And the prophet answered, As surely as the Lord lives whom I serve, I will not accept a thing. He was offering Elisha a king's ransom. But Elisha was not interested in that. He was interested in the honor and the glory of the Lord God of heaven. Do you understand? When we are broken, when we are broken, We no longer care about our glory. We no longer care about our lives. We no longer care about the flesh. We care about the glory of God. We care about Jesus. So he says, Let let me, your servant, be given as much earth as a pair of mules can carry for your servant. will never again make burnt offerings and sacrifices to any other god but the Lord. But may the Lord forgive your servant for one thing. When my master enters the temple of Rimon to bow down, and he's leaning on my arm, and I bow there also. When I bow down in the temple, may the Lord forgive your servant. And Elisha said, Go in peace. Why? This man wants to take all the earth a pair of mules can carry because he wants the earth of Israel and he's going to set up an altar on that and he's going to offer sacrifices to the God of heaven. He has been converted. 
He is changed. He is transformed. He's no longer this raging man who demands his own way. He has surrendered his own way into the hand of Almighty God. And now, instead of being proud, he's brokenhearted. He is absolutely stunned by the miracle. And then he is absolutely shocked that Elisha will receive no financial reward for what he has just done for Naaman. Oh, my brother, my sister. We're going to have to be broken. We're going to have to be broken. I'm going to be talking about how we are broken and what enta- what that entails in the coming days as I share with you. But there is a, a necessary change of attitude or God cannot bless you. You must come with a deep hunger of your heart You must be possessed of a dissatisfaction of the state of the church in general, but of your heart in particular, especially your heart. You must be willing for God to begin to work in you first, not in the other man. And you must possess a holy expectancy that God can and will meet your cry. Now let's be very clear. Naaman was willing to humble himself and dip seven times in the Jordan. You must have a new conviction of sin you must have a new vision of the cross of Jesus and of what it means to be redeemed. You must have a new willingness to be broken. A, you must invite the breaking. You must be willing to repent. You must be willing to confess, not just to God, but to the people you have been short with, to the people you have cut off, to the people you have looked down upon, to the people you have accused and hurt. And as you do this, it will become a joyful experience of the power of the blood of Jesus to cleanse you fully from all your sin and to restore and heal all that sin has caused you to lose. This then opens the door for a new entering into the fullness of the Holy Spirit and of his power to do his work through his people. A new gathering in of the lost and the dying. Please, Revival means 
a coming of the Holy Spirit into your heart to revive you. And if you're self-satisfied and filled with your rage and your anger and your pride and your self-righteousness, you will not ever experience revival. Revival is literally the reviving of your spirit in Christ. And what keeps that revival from happening, what keeps us from being in fellowship one with another, is the selfish pride of our hearts, the self-sufficiency of our hearts, the judgments we pass with our hearts, the pride of what will that person think or what will this person think if I humble my heart before God. They will never accept this. What am I to do? Lay yourself down at the cross and seek after Jesus. Almighty God, I've come today to speak your word. A word, Lord, of humility. A word of brokenness. A calling for us to lay our pride in the dust. Lord, I lay my pride in the dust today by faith in your mighty name. And I choose to no longer respond to people with irritation or impatience or hardness of heart. Lord, I choose to no longer walk in the pride of my own self-sufficiency, in the arrogance of my being right and the other person being wrong. Lord, you've called for a brokenness and a humility. You've called, O Lord, for me to stop my running toward the world, the flesh, and the devil, to stop and to turn and to come into your presence, Jesus. Lord, I need you today. I cannot make it without you, Jesus. I cannot bring revival to Washington, D.C. without your Holy Spirit moving first in my life and then in the life of all of those who will listen to this broadcast. Lord, I, I am as dry bones spread over the desert. And I ask, would you prophesy over these dead bones and call for them to stand up on their feet and for flesh to cover, for the breath to enter? Lord, I need you today. I come and just unashamedly say, I can do nothing without you. 
Lord, you've been so clear, and yet I've not understood this. I've been a pastor for so many years, and I have worked in the church, and I've encouraged people to do this and that. But Lord, honestly, almost everything in the church today is controlled and done by flesh. Almost nothing is done by your spirit. Lord, if you withdrew your Holy Spirit entirely from the modern-day church, there would be basically no change in behavior in that church. Programming would continue as it is now going. The music would continue unabated. Lord, we need you. I need you. I need you to come. I need you to come and heal and cleanse and restore and save. Mighty God of heaven, we're going to continue going down this road of every kind of enterprise, struggling to gain our sustenance, If you don't come, Lord, you said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things would be given to you as well. You gave us an incredible commission to seek first the kingdom of God, to bring to this earth the presence and power and will of our God in your kingdom. and to seek after righteousness or innocence with all of our hearts. And if we would do that, you said you would provide for us. So, Lord, I come asking for your power to humble my heart, to walk in the light, to in no way enter the darkness, yea, even to touching the darkness. And I ask for your provision for the poor. I ask for your provision for this radio broadcast. Would you come, Lord Jesus? We need you. I pray in your holy name. Amen. I'm so clear today that we need Jesus. That he is the greatest need of our life. And I come asking, do you need Jesus? And what are you going to do with him? Now, just a word about where we're at. The month of November is fast coming to a close. And we have had, so far, one offering to help cover the cost of this radio broadcast. I am so grateful for that gift and for all of you who each month has been so faithful in giving. 
everything up to that one gift went to pay for last month's radio to cover. And it was covered and the check was sent and it's all taken care of. But now we have November before us. So I'm asking, would you help us with this November radio bill? Would you help make it possible for us to cover the cost? Now, I can't do it, and I need your help. Would you help? You can help by going directly to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. You can give online, or you can go to National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. I need your help. And it's Thanksgiving time. And I want to tell you how grateful I am. I will be praising Jesus this Thanksgiving for you. I love you with all my heart. Thursday, we won't be on the air. Wednesday, we're having a huge party here at the house for people for Thanksgiving. Friday, I won't be. Monday, I'll be back on air live. God bless you. I look forward to hearing from you very soon. I'll talk to you on Monday. God bless you. Now unto him who is able Keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of His glory.